Hi there. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for all the love and support you have given us in recent times. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a follow on our social media. This podcast is brought to you by The Retro Kit, an online store where you can buy all of your favourite shirts. From Zidane's famous black and white striped Juventus kit to Thierry Henry's invincible shirt, they have it all. You can check them out by visiting our Instagram page. And now it's time for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Colazar. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In this episode, we are thrilled to have Lorenzo Dolcetti, the current coach at Juventus Academy in London. Lorenzo's journey in football began as a player in the youth teams at Spau and AC Milan. However, his passion for the game led him across the English Channel, where he transitioned from playing to coaching. With a keen eye for talent and a wealth of experience, and having held significant roles at renowned clubs like Southampton and Portsmouth, Lorenzo brings a unique perspective to the table. Join us as we explore his insights into coaching and the differences in culture between both Italy and England. But before we begin, Jack, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, looking forward to this one. It's going to be lots of interesting uh, points, I think. Lots to learn from um, coming off the back of some good Premier League games this week as well. Yeah, there's been uh, some sporadic games this weekend, but some good games. Uh, United obviously had, a, I would say, somewhat of a decent game, but still a, a lot of leaks in there against Tottenham. But um, with obviously the new ownership coming in, hopefully onwards and upwards. But Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, the City-Newcastle game was a good one. All four goals, really like top, top goals, you know, in, a, in one match, four brilliant goals is good watching. Well, my biggest two points from that game was De Bruyne's back, so Man City have got the title back in their pocket. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, the guy, who, the kid who scored the last goal, what a name he has, Oscar Bob. I don't think there's a better name out there than Oscar Bob. Yeah, looking forward to commentators screaming the name Bob for the next 10 years. And I didn't realise, I think he's Norwegian as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really excited for this episode. Um I've just admired Italian culture and Italian soccer. I think I look back to when I was a kid, Channel 4 would always have the Italian games on on a Sunday morning, and I just used to love watching it. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, Channel 4 Sunday mornings. The uh, Who was on that? Yeah, but I do remember that now you say it. That used to be really one of the only... When you used to only have Channel 1, 2, 3 and 4, that used to be really the only footy you could watch was, was the Italian stuff. So you just used to watch it and admire it um, yeah saturday night's match of the day sunday mornings the italian goals yeah we're showing our age there but um before we do move on and get lorenzo in obviously it's my turn this week to ask the trivia question and i've gone with the the italian route i've gone uh see how uh, you're going to get on with this so can you name the four italian players to have scored 25 goals or more in the premier league right yeah, so there's definitely some names come to mind. I think, I think the difficulty is going to be getting it down to four, because I think I've got five or six probably that are going to come in my mind over the next hour. The what I will say, so there recognised goal scorers. There was four from twenty-five and more, obviously, but then there was about five players who scored twenty-one to twenty-three goals. So you're going to slip up. Oh, okay, yeah, because. My initial reaction is surely there's more than four Italian players that have scored 25 goals in the Premier League. So uh, I'll have to try and do some thinking and figure out which ones have got over that mark and who have not quite made it, I guess. Exactly. But we shall begin. Lorenzo, good morning. How are you, mate? Very good. Very good. How about yourself? We're good. We're good. Thanks for joining us. Really excited to talk some Italian soccer and some English soccer and uh, and get it going. But uh, before we do begin... Uh, Jack's important part of uh, the five questions. Yeah. Uh, name? Lorenzo Dolcetti. Again, a little bit different to how Stu pronounced it. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was good enough. It was good enough. <laughs> uh, favorite team? Hey, this is a good question because uh, I, I don't really have a favorite team. <laughs> I, 
growing up in a football uh, family, I always supported uh, my my dad's uh, club, and then the club I I was playing or, or, or working at. So at the moment, I'd say I'd say Juventus because of the my dad connection. Uh, but growing up, I think I was more of a Roma supporter because uh, I had long hair, so I liked Francesco Totti. I was the number ten as well, so oh, uh, what yeah. a role model. <laughs> um, favorite ever sporting memory? Eh, lucky to have had a few. Um, I think I'm going for uh, what Euros 2021. Uh, I went to every Italy game uh, at Wembley, uh, yeah. final included. So it was. Uh, it was great to be there, and uh, you know, uh, especially being in England, the final it was. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, the, it was like a Saturday and the Monday. I we went on uh, preseason camp at St George's Park with Portsmouth, so I was I uh, the first Italian to to step uh, into into the English Federation Center uh, as a as a Euro winner. Oh. Hostile, I'm sure you. I'm yeah. sure you were on edge looking around like who's coming for me. <laughs> walking in there with a big smile on your face and all English people down in yeah. the dumps <laughs> um, favourite ever kit again not a massive fan the one that comes to mind I think is the AC Milan um, tw- or 06 or 07 like with the gold numbers uh, that team was was unbelievable like the Christmas tree with Kaká, Seedorf, Pirlo Maldini so I think that, that, stuck, that stuck to my mind I do think the Italian kits are the best kits out there, especially like the old AC Milan ones and like the Juventus ones and yeah, some yeah, fellas. Um, best player seen live? I'm going easy, Iniesta. I think um, I've had the, the, the luck to, to, to watch him a few times live and the, the, the player he was, he was, he is actually still playing probably, but at the time at Barcelona, he was like, Running the show for me. Yeah, what a player! Great answer. First time we've had Iniesta. Yeah, that's the first time we've had Iniesta as an answer. But that might be my favorite answer for best player seen live. What a player! I I just when you think of Iniesta, you just think of like elegance. Like he was just effortless on the ball, and I think like you can't teach like with all of us being coaches, you can't teach that to a child. It just has to come from you, and it's just your relaxed nature about you. So, yeah, what a player he he still is. I know obviously he's playing somewhat, but yeah, wow, what a and what a team that Barcelona team was and AC Milan in those times. Um, yeah. But unlike in Iniesta, we're uh, we're all ex ex players. Um, so Lorenzo, um, I would love to kind of kick off this episode with just kind of your journey, how you got into football from obviously your, your youth days all the way to, to where you are now, kind of. Um... Yeah, um, so I started uh, <clears throat> playing football in Italy. Uh, the Roma connection is also there because I remember I, until I was seven, I think I didn't start playing football. Uh, obviously, my dad was a professional footballer, so um, we, we used to watch games, but... I was doing swimming and other sports. And then there was a Roma-Lazio derby and Montella, Vincenzo Montella, the striker, scored an hat-trick. And he used to celebrate like, like kind of acting like an airplane. And the morning, the following morning, I decided that I wanted to play football. I went to my dad and to my mom. I was like, I want to start playing football. And uh, so I started at seven. Uh, at 10, I, st- I, I got into the first professional academy, Pisa, my my hometown, uh, and then obviously uh, with my dad's job, the transition, he transitioned to coaching. Uh, we we moved a lot, um, so I basically followed him and played for the for the club uh, he was at. So I played for Spal. I played. Uh, I, we went back home. We went back uh, to Tuscany, where I'm from. So I played for Liv- uh, Livorno, um, Fiorentina for a little bit, and then AC Milan. And then basically when I was 18, I got the first uh, gig into like senior football at a third division level, which is like a good level in Italy is uh, like the third uh, tier of professional football. 
Um, and then the following year, I decided to, they offered me a contract, but I decided to step down because uh, the club wasn't, um, wasn't in, in conditions financially, uh, in terms of stability, there wasn't a manager, there wasn't enough players. So I thought it wasn't the right move for me to stay there. And I stepped uh, one tier below, uh, I went one tier below in fourth division, Serie D for two seasons. Um, and those two years were very good in terms of learning, but at the same time, very frustrating because uh, I, the ambition was obviously to step back into uh, league football. Um, and uh, it, it didn't quite happen. It didn't quite happen for a number of reasons. Um, my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, moved to, to England to start studying. And I remember coming here and I was like, oh, uh, this is completely different. Because I used to study sports science in, uh, in Italy. But that's already a big difference between Italian and, and English uh, university systems. I like the English system because it's very specific from the beginning. So I found a degree in a football coaching. I was like, oh, this is great. Because uh, my idea was always uh, to have uh, to start coaching after my playing career. And I thought, well, since I'm not really making it where I want to, uh, I just I just, uh, I just, just start uh, 10 years ahead of time. And uh, I, 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 I transitioned straight away in, in, into coaching. And that's how basically I, I, I got to England. Uh, I studied three years at the University of Chichester, did loads of experiences, even just to, to learn the language, because I moved over here and I couldn't speak English. Uh, so it was like, even just be on the grass and, and, and try com to communicate to players and uh, put my messages across in the right way. It was, uh, it was a great le learning curve. Uh, and well, your, Engli your English is better than my English. So you do, you're doing pretty well. No, no, no. But yeah, you know, after seven years now, uh, it, it would be an issue if uh, if uh, if my English wasn't. wasn't I'll, good. I'll, it's it's interesting you say that because obviously, for like myself and Jack, we went from an English speaking country to another English speaking country, and there's obviously no difference in terms of language. Yes, there's a few different terminologies, but how did you really find that going to England, not speaking English, and having to rely on more body language to, to get your point across. How was that for you? Tough, tough at the beginning. Um, I remember I, I, I could understand quite well, for example, the, the lectures. Uh, I could understand them. Uh, it was more when, you know, you are in situations where there is a bit of uh, chaos around you or that it's a group where multiple people are speaking at the same time. I couldn't get quite... I, you know the, the the meaning of some some words and stuff like that and as you said it's all about body language it's all about i remember coming here for my because the university wanted me to to get an interview and i got here and i got to gatwick and i i, I didn't know how to get to the train to, to to get to chichester like and and also the train splits at some point there so it was like you know it, it was an adventure it was an adventure but it's something that you know i'm, I'm very proud uh, to 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 have made that step because uh, for sure um, it, it's been a great a great step and a great experience life experience for me yeah yeah no, definitely it's sometimes people just need that little one step forward and you realize what you're actually capable of and I'm sure your first day in England you were probably somewhat nervous and worried but then like once you just keep pushing yourself out of your boundaries you really do start learning, not also about around you, but about yourself as well. So I'm sure that was an important stage for you. Um, so then from, obviously, from you going to university, what was kind of your next steps? Um, basically, when I finished my, my three years, uh, I was I, I going on to my B license as well here in England. Uh, and uh, obviously, without the B license, it's very hard to find a, to find a full-time coaching job. Uh, so the university uh, used to do and still does actually uh, a very good master's in performance analysis, um, and I really liked the structure of the of the of the of the course because it was uh, basically a um, a year long experience at at a club, and then you'd go back on a Thursday to do all the lectures. So it basically was a full time masters in a. a Together with a full-time job, kind of thing, um, 
And I really liked it because it, it would get me, you know, into a professional club in England. Um, and it, it would get me the opportunity to, to start uh, looking to, to get into a club uh, and, and work in a high level because the, the clubs available like Southampton, uh, was Brighton, Tottenham, most of them were in the, in the academy positions. Uh, so I went for the Southampton first team job, which was one of the few at first team level. And I got the interview and, and I got in. Um, and so I started that experience that, you know, it was, it's been an unbelievable experience, especially because the manager was uh, Ralph Azenutel, uh Red Bull philosophy, solo all about high pressing, high intensity, um, very good behaviors against the ball. And I come from, from Italy where probably we are a little bit more passive against the ball and uh, as I said before, I was a technical player and number 10, so I, I, I liked a more possession-based style. Um, so it was a great to see the other side of, the, of, the, of, of football, more high-pressing, more work against the ball. Um, and that, that, that season was, uh, was great. Unfortunately, it was cut short by, by COVID, uh, but still, I'm still in touch with you know, uh, the, the analyst there. And uh, so we created a great relationship. It was a great season. Yeah. Yeah. How, how important did you find it being a, a blend of learning in the classroom, but then also learning out in the real world that, that surely was so vital putting both and both together. So you're really starting to get a kickstart in your career. Yeah, it was good. The, the course was, was amazing. The course was amazing because uh, it was very, um, uh, he had a very realistic mindset of what do you need to do to get a job in the industry. So uh, the, the the tasks were like cover letter, CV, uh, in a kind of a mock interview. Uh, so so all those uh, skill sets that you need to to actually get the job. Then for me it was a bit different because uh, I wanted to do that experience, knowing that I wanted to go back on the grass as a coach. So I, I would never look. To, to get a job only in in analysis that's not the, the pathway that I want to, to I wanted to go um, to go into um, so so for me it was more a case of can I get the most out of this year uh, so that I can add the analysis uh, skill set to my to my coaching skill sets uh, and uh, and then become a better a better practitioner from from that basically yeah, I think it's becoming more and more common for coaches to try and find some experience at the analytical environment because the game has become now so analytical in terms of picking up these small little details that are going to make such a big change. So obviously your goal was to still become a, a coach and be on the pitch and be playing. How important was it understanding different departments? So for you, the analysis department, so that it could make you a better coach? Massive. I, I'm a strong believer in that. Um, my my idea has always been I start when I'm 21 because I want to have by 35, I want to have a very diverse skill set. And my ambition is to become an head coach. And to be an head coach and to lead, I think you need to, to lead and to delegate. I think you need to uh, know what everyone is talking about very well. So now I'm in the position that if I become an head coach in the future and uh, I have an analyst uh, that I work with, I, I will be able to delegate, but at the same time, I'll be able to understand what he tells me. And that's what I've done with the analysis. That's what I'm doing at the moment with the uh, sports science and physical uh, department. Uh, and that's what I, 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 I've done experience in scouting that's that's all part of the of the picture and as an head coach which is the the thing that i'm working towards i think you need to be able to understand how people think and to understand how people think if you have experience into that position you know it, it, it's it's beneficial yeah no, it's it's a vital part of it and obviously the dream of i'm assuming is to be a head coach at the highest level possible but then if it starts off at a lower level you might be a one-man team where you're the head coach, but you're also having to do the analytical work and you're having to do this. So having that knowledge in different areas, it's just adding different strings to your bow. It's just 
helping you grow as that coach. And I think the, the biggest and the important word here is the appreciation. So when you are in a team of different departments, you can appreciate what everyone's doing because as a as a football fan behind the scenes sitting at home watching on TV, you probably don't appreciate everything that's gone into that game day experience, that match experience. Whereas there's probably, and I'm talking at the top level, hundreds of people behind the scenes that are all adding that 1%. So then they get into the 100% ready for that game. So for you, I'm sure you appreciated seeing different parts at Southampton. What was your your biggest learning moment, you would say, or your biggest takeaway from your time at Southampton? It was the importance, uh, the importance of being very aligned, the importance of having a, a, a clear game idea, uh, and the importance of making sure that everyone understands within the club. Because as you said, like I was uh, uh, coming in, basically, if I remember correctly, the manager got the job the season before, halfway through the season before, like in December. So I, I go in, in in six months into his, uh, his tenure. And uh, I was so surprised to see how the analysts were like the eye of the manager. Like they they knew what the manager was looking for. They knew what they would what he would say about this, about that, about this player behavior. About it, it was like complete alignment uh, between between the manager and and the analysts. And um, and that was uh, that was something I was like, oh, uh, this uh, this makes everything easier. You know, at the top level, when you play every three days, every and there is pressure having people around you that know their job, are competent, but also know what the 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 vision is and the idea is. It's it's massive, absolutely. It's the pathway to success, right? Everyone knowing their roles and positions and working together as a team to kind of combine and create that end result and get the three points at the weekend. Um, so for, from Southampton. Uh, you moved on to to Welling United. Obviously, we had the COVID time. So, kind of, what was your next step from Southampton? After Southampton, uh, as I said, I wanted, I was very keen to go back to to the grass uh, and to also to also try you know, out what I learned uh, by observing uh, Ralph Ralph uh, and, and and all the experiences I had at Southampton. Uh, so I I moved to London during COVID. I found a, 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 a job at Welling under 16. And for the first time, probably I was in charge of a team. I had my assistant and I was in charge of a team. So I, I could experiment with my ideas. I, I, I had uh, obviously straight away a different perspective because you need to deal with parents. You need to deal with the, you know, uh, at, at grassroots level, uh, referees, organized, like all the logistics and, 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 and organizational side of it uh, behind the scenes as well. On top of obviously the, the 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 work on the grass, and it was a it was a great experience. It was a, a great year. Uh, a couple of players moved up and, and, and moved into the into the first uh, to, into the first team. So it was a, a very very positive year for me. Together with that, I I started at Juventus Academy London that opened in September in 2020, and uh, it was a it was an experience uh, where we grew up very quickly. Uh, and I got straight away a, a senior head coach position, and started to really be more the 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 link between the Juventus touring Italy and the Juventus London. So it was more a case of making sure that the coaches bought into the uh, Juventus methodology, uh, making sure that there was the alignment uh, throughout the academy, and it was a very good experience for me because. Um, you know, by coaching and by teaching, you almost uh, you 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 learn yourself. You, you kind of clear get things clear in your head. Um, so it was. Uh, we always do like a, a meeting every week uh, where we go through what's going on in the week, challenges. Uh, uh, we we look through a couple of session plans, and I think it's a good way to 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 develop the academy, which is now three hundred kids. And it's like, it's good numbers, it's growing. Uh, it's a good environment. It's a good environment. Um, so that was the, the, they were the two, the two experiences that I did that season together with some individual and small group sessions that I started doing in London. So it's fantastic work of the growing of the, the academy in London. Um, what have you found to be, obviously, you had your time as a youth player 
uh, in Italy, but the difference in potentially youth culture between Italian youths and then obviously your time at Welland and that obviously Juventus where you've had kids coming in, how have they taken to like the Italian way of doing it? Hey, it's a good question. I think there are many differences uh, between the Italian setup and the, and the English setup. Um, I think uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the, the three areas uh, is definitely grassroots level, uh, professional academy level, and obviously then professional uh, senior level, first team level. Uh, at grassroots level, uh, there is also an influence from the school system in in England that there's there is not present in Italy. So in England, uh, there is actually teams, uh, kids play play for the school, uh, train for the school. So I, I remember my, in my first year I, uh, in England, I I used to coach the um, I coached the under 18s at Chichester, and they trained once a week. And I was like, how is that possible? How about the kids? They play on a Wednesday. They play. Uh, for the school, then they train on the Monday. So I was like, yeah, but I can't have the 18, uh, 17 years old for once a week uh, and then train and then play on a, on, a, on, a, on a Saturday. And same thing at Welling, I had to really fight to get at least the second session in. So it, that, that's right away a different, uh, a different uh, um, uh, situation in, in terms of methodology, in terms of planning, um, because you don't have the kids. For, for in Italy, under 16, even at grassroots level, you train three times a week. I think so, at grassroots level, I think in Italy, there is more uh, organization overall. Um, in, like, there's no, it's not the, the culture of uh, having parents uh, um, coaching a team or like uh, playing at the park. It, it's more, I think it's more structured, but at the same time, I think, uh, and going towards the methodology side of it, we had a big revolution in the 90s with Saki at AC Milan that revolutionized football. But the problem was that youth coaches started to use their methodology and so think more about the team straight away uh, rather than de developing the individual. And, uh, and so I remember when I was uh, 12, uh, 10, or even even 9, 10, I remember doing 11 B0 against the ball and shuffling across. Uh, this is your position. This is your position because we need to be compact, the distances, uh, pressure and cover. And it's something that I don't think in England uh, uh, it's possible. But I agree with England. And I agree that you know I'm lucky that I, I'm here now and I see uh, the the product of uh, of the English methodology and that you know uh, loads of top players, but because uh, I see more freedom and more attention to the individual, which in Italy instead we think we think about the team first, even a youth level. So we treat kids as senior players, unfortunately. So that's a massive difference. That's funny that you spoke about the kind of we used to call it shadow play, like the eleven v zero. We used to do that every Saturday morning as kids and. Um, it was almost enough to make you quit soccer. It was so boring, nobody enjoyed it. But you spoke a little bit about the Juventus um, Academy methodology. What are the kind of the key aspects of that that you think uh, sets you apart from maybe the other clubs and systems in London? I think there is um, there is an element of the DNA of the club. So in terms of uh, being organised, in terms of being committed, the Juventus has always uh, won what they won as. Uh, uh, with the group, you know, there was maybe a, a good player, Platini, Zidane, Del Piero, but the rest was like, we are, we are, we are committed, we are aggressive, we are hard to beat. Um, so great team spirit in the youth football that uh, um, translates into uh, the, the the non negotiables really, but really strict on uh, being on time. Being a good role model, dress up properly, not like all those kind of things. In terms of methodology and training methodology, we have like a four block session, a gradual uh, increase uh, in terms of cognitive cognitive loads. So from uh, an opposed, very technical, uh, Juventus believes loads on on the development of of technical um, skills. Uh, so they have the first block of of really ball mastery. Going into duels, lots of one v ones, two v twos, three v threes, 
and then into finish with a game. There must be a, it's the same the same thing that that you know you you find elsewhere. I think, but uh, there is a stronger uh, there is stronger element in terms of the 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 the, the Juventus badge is uh, important that you understand you're wearing a badge, and so you need to behave in the right way. That, yeah, that I think is. The badge is so iconic and the team is so iconic that it's almost you would hope that when a player, when a youth player is stepping into that scene, it's like, well, this is me. I'm I'm here now. I've got to, I've got to, one, I've got to work and two, I've got to be on my best behavior because I'm representing such a big brand of iconic foot of an iconic football team that has dominated Europe for the last 30, 40 years. Yes, there's been some highs and lows. But how have how has the the traditional English youth player taken to an Italian way of playing? I think overall, I think it's it's a it's a process. It's a process, and uh, you know, as long as uh, you are clear with the with the with the players and with the parents uh, of what the expectations are and why, and you give the reasoning why you 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 do what you do, uh, then. Uh, Overall, we go good by in. Then, obviously, there, there were some challenging players that, you know, uh, if uh, you, you speak to them, you speak to the parents, uh, and then uh, if that doesn't work, uh, you, you find another solution in the end. So, in terms of, in terms of that, you know, it's uh, either you you align with our philosophy and uh, with our way of doing uh, things, or, or you can go somewhere else. It's not a problem. Uh, but overall, I think uh, I think the buy-in has been good. Has been good, and uh, they saw the diff a little bit the difference. What my feedback has been uh, uh, with the players uh, is that they 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 the, the sessions so they they work more with the, in terms of ball mastery, technical ability um, than in other in other academies. That 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 was uh, the main feedback that we received. Oh, it sounds like you're doing an excellent job there, and. Uh... Hopefully you can start producing some more and more players for the England team so we uh, we can steal them because obviously not a great result a few years ago at Wembley. Um, so hopefully we can we can nip you again and see you soon. Um, so then obviously you uh, you had a call up obviously to go work in Portsmouth within the first team level. So you've you've almost come like kind of full circle in terms of going into like Chichester and then Southampton as analysis, then going into like youth development in terms of coaching with the under 16s and then back into the first team level talk to us a little bit about your time at Portsmouth how did that come around and uh, what was your your role there so at the end of that season I started doing some scouting um, because uh, uh, the head of international recruitment was uh, an Italian uh, an Italian uh, friend um, Roberto Gagliardi who brought me to the club in term, uh, for, for scouting purposes uh, but then uh, you know at that level, League One, League Two, every season you you start the season and you need to bring in uh, fifteen players minimum, and that was the situation uh, at Portsmouth. Uh, Danny and Nicky Cowley just got the job in uh, probably March time. They got the 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 full time job. They 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 got the, the the okay for the next season towards the end of the of the season, uh, and it was the start of a new of a new era for the club. Um, and we spent lots of time together, May, June time, watching players. This is good. This is uh, not good for us. Um, and so, so we spent every day in the office looking at players. And we started talking about coaching. My my ambition to become a coach, uh, to to start coaching at professional level. My ideas, my methodology, and uh, uh, I, I I will never be. <laughs> Thankful enough to to Danny and Nicky, they opened the door and they were like, "Listen, come and and start preseason with us. Um, we we can't promise anything, but let's see if we can work something together. If we if you are a right fit for us and that we are a right fit for you, um, we can develop the uh, the, the the matter further. And um, after I think seven a week, ten days uh, at the start of preseason, Danny called me in the office and he was like, "We want to offer you." Uh, a full-time uh, full-time job as a, as a, as a, as part of uh, of the coaching staff uh, so I, I i of course for me it's been a, a great opportunity and, and as always in football it goes really high up and downs and it's it's part of it's part of the of the industry 
and for me that that, that experience has been a, an, a, a, another great learning curve a great accelerator uh, in terms of uh, of my career uh, and I need to thank uh, Danny and Nikki for trusting me Roberto for bringing me to the club and the club obviously for for giving me the, the opportunity to, to start working uh, at professional level uh, uh, as a coach. Yeah, I think between Southampton and Portsmouth, you've had two great experiences with two huge clubs as well. If you think about their history, obviously Portsmouth a little bit lower down now, but I mean, FA Cup winners only so long ago. Um, your time at Portsmouth, what was kind of your, your biggest challenges when you were there? Obviously, you've gone from... Juventus Academy and well in somewhat semi-pro to then that professional environment. What did you find some of the early challenges that you had to overcome? Hey, it is a completely switch in the mindset for sure. Uh, I was, uh, you know, um, I, I, I had the experience of myself as a player in the professional environment. I had obviously my, my dad's experience which probably was one of the other reasons why I, I wanted to get into coaching very early because when when I was back in Italy still playing, I would go to, to Juventus and my dad is, uh, is, actually, is, is, the, is the first team coach of Allegri at Juventus. And uh, so I would go there and I would speak to the staff, speak to the coaches, speak to uh, the, the, the sports science department, the analysis department. So I already had an idea of you know the day-to-day -day, uh, activities and processes that, that, that a professional team, a professional club has. But at the same time, being thrown into it, you know, in its in its adjustment and uh, so straight away how to plan uh, to plan a, a, a session with the physical data coming in, with the analysis input coming in. Uh, numbers of players uh, we can get young players from the from the under 18s so it, all these logistics and and planning um that would take place before the session it was uh, uh, you know something that i had to to adjust to uh, for sure and i think that that was uh, and, and then obviously the, the other bit it was the relationship with the, with the players because i found myself at 20 uh, 26 27 coaching players that were like 35 and maybe with 10 years in the championship uh, as a player. So, you know, how you develop that relationship and um, you get them to trust you, uh, it's uh, it's definitely something that I had to learn to to, to do. So um, you spoke a lot about these different environments that you've been in, and I'm sure in each of these environments, you've had people that have um, not only helped you along the way, but maybe you've looked up to and aspired to kind of to be like, whether it be lecturers at university or some of the coaches you worked with, some of the head coaches, who have been the most significant role models or um, mentors for you on your journey up to this point in, in all those different environments? Or has there been someone throughout the whole journey that's helped you too? Well, for sure, the first the first thought goes to, to my dad because uh, you know, um, he's... Uh, He's been a professional player in the 90s in Italy when Italy was top top, as you said at the beginning. Um, and obviously with his uh, coaching career, being the, the, the manager of the second team at AC Milan, then moving to being first in coach at Juventus is always someone that I looked up to and I, you know, <laughs> it's my dad, so I can ask for advice and I, I have a very transparent and open conversation with him. Um, other 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 people I, I have the luck to, to have met so many uh, great people in my in my journey uh, Roberto has been uh, important for me the, the, the Italian friend that brought me to, to the club uh, Daniel Niki I I really uh, we clicked straight away we have a great relationship uh, we are still in touch um, and and you know they they opened the door and they they mentored me. They helped me on on, on the during the, the experience at Portsmouth. Um, another very important figure for me was uh, the head of coaching at Juventus Academy in Turin, uh, Stefano Baldini, uh, who is uh, a top top coach, top head of coaching, uh, and uh, his understanding of the game opened opened uh, a lot to me. So I had, had a lot of time, you know, the head of analysis, Scott Waters, was uh, was amazing. 
uh, great guy and uh, you know I, I learned a lot from him especially from a leadership point of view uh, the way he he, he, he made you inclusive uh, he created an inclusive uh, and friendly environment was it was amazing yeah so if you yeah. if if you absolutely yeah, yeah yeah like you said maybe you've definitely been looking the kind of wealth of um, talent and experience you've, you've been able to learn from but what is it exactly do you think that makes those people good mentors for you what skills do they have that have helped uh, the, in, in different ways, there's something that attracts me to them. Um, that might be a, a, like, for example, I don't know, for Stefano Baldini, who was the head of coaching at Juventus, he was the ability, his ability to communicate, his ability to communicate. All of them, high, high um, social skills, personal, like very relatable, very, very approachable, all of them. Uh, but in each, I think there is a, something that i would uh, uh, i'm thinking ah, i would like i would like to get to get that from him and that that's what attracts me to to them yeah that just that little bit of something special that kind of uh, catches the eye and makes you want to learn from them for sure and then you spoke a lot about all these skills that you're attaining and getting these different experiences in different areas so that you can kind of almost become like a swiss army knife of different tools and different skill sets um so with that in mind like What's maybe uh, missing on your Swiss Army knife that you want to try and get into in the future? Is there any like area that you think you need to add to your skill set? And and if so, like how how do you plan on doing that? Well, I think you you never stop learning. I think I have a good understanding of uh, analysis of sports science of the psychological side of it. Uh, in terms of the psychological side of it, I I follow the course from the uh, Juventus psychologist who is also like a, a, the Italian psychologist uh, prof professor Vercelli who created this uh, Sfera S-F-E-R-E-A um, uh, model uh, and it was a very interesting one and something that Juventus uses and then therefore I had to coach the coaches here in London to to apply and it's all about you know um, um it's an acronym for basically it's a synchrony, strength, um, energy, uh, rhythm, and activation. So it, it's a little bit of everything, and and it was very and it's very useful when planning, when approaching the player, because straight away you you get a couple of guidelines to how to behave uh, from uh, from a relationship point of view, from to create you no know, to create that connection on a, on a personal level. Um, so I always look to learn. I, I, I'm interested, but not super convinced at the moment uh, uh, from uh, about the data uh, side of, of things. Uh, but it's something that I will look into uh, for sure, because it, it is probably the future. Um, so yeah, I'm always open to, to, to learn new things and to add. But at the same time, I think you need to be very, uh, very, um, um, you need to be very clear in what the priorities are, because if not, you you end up probably going uh, too much uh, uh, in in all directions. It's good to have them and to have them as support, but then you need to have a clear direction yourself. Yeah, I was about to say like how how easy or difficult is it to you know we've all always looking to learn, always looking to acquire new skills, but yet to also have a kind of concrete idea in your mindset of this is the way I believe soccer should be played or this is my kind of coaching philosophy, but at the same time, continuously taking new ideas and new information on. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so important because if not, you, you, lose, uh, you lose the focus, you lose uh, the, the, the edge. Uh, I think uh, you need to also be good at understanding what's good for you and what's not good for you because not, not all knowledge is good for you. And uh, uh, it's it's a selection process uh, as well, uh, being very selective in uh, what can be useful for you because it's something that you uh, can add to your idea and to your um, to your pathway, or what what instead okay it's good to know that there is that one but I don't feel I don't feel it's the right thing for me at the moment. Uh, it's not it's not in line with what I want and what I look for in a, it can be a football team like a style of play or the way you behave with people. Uh, you know, uh, everyone is different, so it needs to be 
true to and it needs to be close to who you are in the end if it's too far away it's not for you and then uh, it might be for someone else yeah no it's, it's fantastic to hear that and like the, obviously we, when we speak about direction you've had obviously your experience at Southampton under Ralph which was like the the, the RB the the Red Bull group of how they do things the high press um, and then you had obviously the experience at Portsmouth with obviously Danny Cowley and um the Eng maybe an English style put on onto that. So you've had two different learning experiences there, plus and obviously your Italian background. So what have you found to be maybe the best parts of each that you would maybe merge together? So when you become a, a head coach, what parts of each maybe style would you be looking to implement if it was you? Well, I think um, coming to England uh, uh, made me appreciate the, the importance of intensity and the importance of uh, high-energy football. And I think it's something that in Italy probably we are a bit behind and uh, it's proven by the fact that you know, the, the few teams that put intensity into the game, uh, into the game and I'm thinking about Atalanta uh, or uh, Verona with Tudor a couple of years ago, have success. Um, because we are not used to that kind of intensity. And I think it's a mentality, it's a mentality um, uh, matter. Uh, because uh, in, uh, obviously we, 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 we got sacked uh, in, uh, in, uh, in January. And uh, after that, uh, I wanted to take some time off to go around and to, to, to learn and to you know, see how other clubs and other managers do things. And uh, going back to Italy was an eye-opener for me because I had my experiences as a player. I have obviously the connection with Juventus, but go to other clubs and see how other managers do stuff. And it was very clear to me that in Italy, there's no intensity because in the, in the training, there's no intensity. Uh, there is a, they are longer sessions, more sessions in a week because we don't have the day off during the week, but uh, uh, very low intensity. So you cannot ask intensity in the game if you don't practice it. Uh, on the other side, the Italian, the Italian, uh, Italian football is for me ahead in terms of tactical understanding, real tactical understanding and uh, uh, real understanding of the opposition weaknesses and, and strengths. And so really playing the game on the opposition. So... Um, work in the team strategy around your position. I think the Italian, the Italian um, school is, uh, is the best one in the world. What we forget in Italy is, uh, at times is that you want to dominate, you want to be in charge of the game and not all, all only look at the opponent. And that's what England instead uh, you can find in England more. Uh, teams that want to be protagonists, they, they want to they want to be in charge of the game. Uh, so the, the experience at Southampton for sure gave me uh, the idea of, uh, of, uh, of a defensive, uh, so a defensive phase, more aggressive with more intensity rather than uh, a bit more conservative and uh, more looking at the distances and more like compact. Uh, I like more going high pressing, high intensity, high energy. Uh, with the ball, it's a big, it's a little bit of a mix. I like uh, now, you know, the Zed, big Guardiola. So I like to have the ball. I like to have the ball. And that for me uh, comes from my background as a player, as a technical player, uh, my uh, experiences in Italy. And also, and also here in England, the, the, the you know, the, I think in Premier League now, uh, you have, uh, you have uh, loads of um, foreign managers and uh, you know, it goes down to the championship and also in Ligue 1 now, there are teams that, that play good football. Uh, and at Portsmouth, I think at times we played, we played good football, played good football. Yeah, and you look at like, say you take a Roberto De Zerbi, he's kind of like the, the perfect blend, right, of like the Italian solid foundations, but then the intense play within England. What's kind of been a take from an Italian point of view on De Zerbi and his success in England so far? Um, I expected it. Um, I, I I was lucky enough to go in and uh, for a couple of days and meet him and uh, spend uh, uh, tw twice uh, at back end of last season and in preseason this season. 
who spend a week for with him and his coaching staff. And uh, you know, uh, by meeting me, meeting him, you understand as always when you meet people at the top, you understand that there is a reason why they are at the top, and he is a top top uh, manager uh, with uh, with a clear idea and a clear way of uh, um, translating that that idea and uh, and um, kind of giving the idea to the players on the training pitch. But was there like a with him, was there like a wow moment or something that stood out about him that you were, that made you not surprised when he was successful? Was there something different that he did or just in his behaviours and actions? I think it's uh, it's just the, the, the way he is, the, uh, the, 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 the presence that he has. And as I said, I think it's the clear alignment between the training methodology and uh, the way he trains the team and the way he wants the team to play. And that, that is a complete alignment. Uh, and also, uh, and that gives him uh, the opportunity, obviously, on the training pitch to really, really go into detail. Even if probably his English is not the best, but his presence, his body language, the way he, he, he interacts with players, uh, you see that the players listen, uh, learn, and then you, you see on, on, on the pitch in the Premier League on a, on a Saturday, really. Yeah, it definitely seems like his point's definitely getting across. I, I was fortunate enough to watch Brighton when they came over to the US and they mm. played Newcastle. And I was sat pretty close to the to the goal mouth. And from goal kicks, just in terms of like playing under the pressure, the players were just so calm, but yet so intense with how they play in their intent. And it was pre-season. And you sometimes expect pre-season to be a little bit lethargic. But you could see De Zerbi on the sideline and his animation and... I, I love it, the, the Italian animation and the use of the hands and the passion. Do, do you see, obviously, when you first came over, you had obviously the issue of the language barrier. And obviously, he's still learning English. And yes, he can speak somewhat, but he's still learning it. Do you see similarities in how he kind of like is starting? And do you see that De Zerbi's going to reach the high levels of the game? And maybe we'll see him managing some top, top teams across it, whether it's Italy, Spain, England, wherever it might be, where do you see kind of De Zerbi fitting in? Like Man City, the next Man City boss, is he the next Pep Guardiola? Because he's being hyped up like that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I honestly think that it will be obviously a, a challenge uh, for him to go to a big club with big, na big names. Uh, but I think he's got the personality to do it. Because uh, sometimes, you know, when you when you meet a manager like this, that is very structured in the way he, he wants the team to play, very clear. Uh, and if you don't do that, uh, he doesn't like. Uh, you're on the bench, you know, with top top players. Sometimes they look back and you're like, what do, what do you know? Like, come on, <laughs> let, let me let me let me do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think instead he's got the personality to really really convince. Uh, players that their way of playing um, will help them uh, on a on a team level gain the results, but also on an individual level to you know to 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 develop uh, and to uh, and to play better. Uh, so I think is uh, is uh, for sure destined to to a top job, to a top uh, to a top job, and I think he deserves it. Yeah, no, he definitely deserves it. I I would have him obviously being a Man United fan. I'd have him come over there. Um, He's just been yeah, almost a, like a breath of fresh air. I'm a Huddersfield Town fan, and I'm happy to if he wants to come to Huddersfield as well in the Championship, we'll we'll take him as well, Stu. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe in his retirement days he might be over at Huddersfield. Um, but no, just to kind of wrap it up. So obviously we've got the Euros coming up this summer. Where are the Italian national team? Where are they finishing? Are they winning it again, or are they uh, are they fading off? Uh, I don't I don't see them uh, winning again. I think uh, you know Euro 2021 was. Uh, was a bit of a magical moment where you know uh, a, a few things aligned and uh, uh, you know there was a great team spirit. There was uh, the Mancini Vialli relationship uh, with Vialli being a very charismatic uh, uh, leader within the group. Uh, and, you know sometimes, especially in those uh, short tournaments. Uh, you find a magical formula that uh, you don't even know how. How it came about, but all of a sudden you you are flying. Uh, I think now uh, 
Spalletti is another is another top manager. He obviously showed it last season in Napoli. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure we'll do well. But uh, if I look uh, at other 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 nations, England uh, is is ahead of us. I, I went uh, a few months ago. We played uh, at Wembley again. And for me, you know, the 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 difference in the individual uh, players uh, was clear. Uh, you know, with Bellingham, uh, with Foden, like you have so many talented players now that uh, I think it's it is your time. I don't want to jinx it, but it is. It, We've it, been it, saying this for years, and it's never <laughs> our time. I got to say, this is great because Lorenzo was saying Italy, no, they're not going to win it. Last week we had Simon from Germany on. He said, no, Germany aren't going to win it. So it sounds like it's England's trophy already. Yeah, yeah. We'll take but, him. I'll so, tell you example, In Italy, you can't say that, though. Like, in Italy, like, we say, no, 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 we don't want, we don't win. We're very superstitious. We don't, we don't win, we don't win. And then maybe we win. <laughs> I mean, you've yeah. got a tough group. I mean, obviously, Spain, Croatia in the group. You'd be lucky to get out the group. I mean, just really <laughs> top, top teams in there. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. But if Lorenzo, if you're a betting man, where is, where are they coming? Where's Italy finishing? Uh, I think uh, if if we get out of the groups, uh, the stage, I think we can get to the semifinals. Yeah. Uh, uh, group stage is a is a big uh, is a big uh, challenge. Italy, I feel like once they're out the groups, just culturally and experience wise, they know how to win knockout games. Once they get into the knockout stages, they know how to get the result. Even if they don't play well, they they know how to win. But yeah, that that's exactly what, what I was referring to before. I think in terms of the tactical understanding and the 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 craft to win, I think Italy is uh, especially in those uh, games that it's in and out or out. I think uh, Italy has, uh, has something in the, in the culture because we 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 won World Cups like this and in the eighty two uh, we have we have had the success in the past and we have uh, we have it in in our DNA. And, well, and... I mean, all jokes aside, like obviously the final that happened between obviously England and Italy, obviously we we started well, but I think Italy just had that winning culture and that mentality that saw you over the line, and. I, you just can't. You can never rule out Italy in my mind. I think you, you're always there or thereabouts. Um, I think it's going to be a fantastic Euros, and I can't wait. Hopefully, there's a rematch in the final, England Italy, and uh, we trounce you four nil. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, no, Lorenzo, really appreciate you coming on. This has been this has been superb. Some really insightful moments. That I think a lot of our listeners, especially our listeners who are coaches, are going to take a lot from you. So, I no, really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Um, but uh, before we do let you go, Jack might need a little bit of help on the trivia question. So I'm not sure uh, how, how good your trivia knowledge is. Um, but Jack, just to repeat for you, can you name the four Italian players to have scored 25 goals or more in the Premier League? Uh, well, I can, yeah, I'm going to try. Um, this is tricky just because of the sense of there's like six or seven in my head that I think could have easily scored 25 goals. So I'm going to try and pick the ones I think. So my first two, are, I'm pretty sure of, and two players we've spoken about on previous episodes. So one being Paolo Di Canio, he must have got 25. He's the highest goal scorer, 66. Well, yep, very good player. And then another iconic player back in that great Chelsea team that I used to love to watch, Gianfranco Zola. Yeah, one of my favourite players. Yeah. Really. 59. Okay, there you go. And then another one that I'm pretty sure of, um, never played for a big club, but um, I forget his first name, but Carbone. Benito Carbone. Yeah. 35. So okay, so that's three. So there's one more. And this is where it's difficult because... This is the one you're going to slip up on. Yeah. So I'm like drawn between like Balotelli, Gianluca Viali, obviously with Zola, um, Ravanelli. It was one of my favourite players just because of the chant we used to do as a kid about him putting his shirt over his head and showing his belly. Um, and then the other one I came up late was Jorginho because of penalties, took in a lot of penalties. Um, Who are you going with? Who's your fourth player? I'll go with Balotelli. Maybe that's just a bit of recency bias creeping in, but I'll go with Balotelli. Lorenzo, do you think he's right or do you think he's wrong? I don't, I don't, I don't think Balotelli got 25. 21 goals he got. 
in fourth spot. I'll give you another chance to go one more play. I'll, I'll be nice for you this week. Just remember I'll, this. I'll go. I'll go with Ravinelli because he he was like the main man at Borough, wasn't he? So he probably banged some goals in. Ravinelli, twenty-five. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's one player I don't think you mentioned, uh, Graziano Pele, who was at Southampton. How many did he, he get? Uh, he got twenty-three, so it was just a few behind. Um, but there were so many players oh, wow. like Jorginho, uh, Viali. There were so many players in that twenty mark. Um, but no, I, I'll give you some credit. Three out of four, not bad. Well done. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. the uh, the Graziano Pele one that's surprising. I don't that one never even came into my mind. He, to be fair, he had one solid season where he was, and I think some big, and then I think he went to China, I think, or somewhere out far far east. And uh, no, he uh, he was a good player. I thought. What about Di Matteo? Did he not get? I thought he might have got somewhere close. Plenty of 15. seasons. Okay, fifteen. So. Uh, Lorenzo's currently developing the next player that's going to go and get 60-odd goals in the Premier League. So uh, look out for this space. If we can yeah. get the next Paolo Di Canio, that'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully in your training sessions, you're teaching the kids the the, the Canio scissor kick far post. Wow. That's a, that's a tough one, huh? Great goal. Great but goal, uh, no, Jack, any last words? Uh, no, well, just that, you know, I thought that was very insightful, very interesting. I think, uh, you know, huge takeaway about, you know, it's actually interesting because I think there was some similarities to yourself and then you, when you were talking about Deserby at the end in terms of that clarity from training field to on-field and having you know a very holistic knowledge of all the different areas and being involved in everything to bring it together and then impact players on the practice field. Um, so we're definitely going to keep track of your trajectory as you push forward and um, enter into the you know up and up of the leagues. So very insightful and, and interesting as well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, best of luck with your future, and uh, we bid everyone a farewell. Thank you. Thank you.